I've always wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to be an architect. Oh my God. I have always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. On today's podcast is Christy Walson, new employee at Amazon in their sustainability department. At the time of this recording, Christy Walson was a mechanical engineer and head of sustainability at TLC Engineering Solutions. Christy and my team have worked together on numerous projects with Christy acting as the quarterback for her team of multiple engineers. We thought it would be fun to interview Christy because she is not only a mechanical engineer, but also has this strong sustainability background. And we thought our audience would find that to be an interesting combination. I'll probably get canceled now, but not every engineer is stereotypically engineerish, if you know what I mean. Christy also has a great story about how she grew up literally on a boat. Welcome, Christy. Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a mechanical engineer and primarily a sustainability consultant. I focus on lead energy modeling, energy auditing, energy sustainability. I've been with TLC Engineering since 2007. And I manage our energy services group in Orlando. And I'm now a shareholder principal with the firm. How I got here, it's a little circuitous. I grew up on a sailboat. My family moved us down here from Michigan when I was 10. And we lived on a sailboat for five years. And as you can imagine, you work with your hands a lot. And I have a, an affinity for fixing stuff, working with my hands. Mechanical engineering was a natural path for me. So I went to Virginia Tech, got my mechanical engineering degree. I was always the one changing everybody's computer settings to double-sided printing and starting the recycling programs. And it was the sustainability was ingrained in me. And so around 2005, I was reading an architectural magazine. I saw that an engineering degree could get you into this field. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a name for it now. I have a way to talk about it. And in about a year and a half, I was at TLC. I actually did mechanical design for the first five years to understand what that is and all the systems. And then moved over full-time sustainability five years after I started there. So that's how I got to where I am right now. When you were on the boat, were you docked? Living or Sometimes. travel a lot? So we would dock. We would go to school from August to January. And then we would leave and we would homeschool and be gone. I've lived in the Bahamas, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Turks and Caicos. We did three of those over the five years that we lived on the boat. And then having two teenage girls on a 40-foot sailboat was not a great idea leading into high school. I guess there's a whole nother podcast that we could talk about how this whole <laughs> thing influenced your career and all, but how much real influence does that side of your brain impact your mechanical side? The two sides of my brain have conversations all day long because yeah. to me, sustainability is and can be a very engineering logic, data-driven activity. But my sweet spot is energy. 
carbon, climate change, data analysis, like looking at utility bills. I like to Sherlock Holmes a solid set of utility bills and figure out where things are going wrong. So I use that as a tool then to inform what can we do to an existing building to bring down the energy use. And it's all driven for me by climate change and the fact that 70% of the carbon emissions that happen that create greenhouse gases in our atmosphere come from existing buildings and the energy use around them. So that's really the driver for me. Was there climate change that you witnessed living on a boat? I've never been asked that question. Yes. We spent a lot of time in the Abacos. Let's take that as an example. That's a a set of islands in the Bahamas known for gorgeous snorkeling. I have memories growing up of going to these reefs, all these colors and brilliant like visions that you can't, like none of our underwater pictures ever captured them properly. Over time, we have visited the Abacos multiple times. Those reefs don't look like that anymore. The colors aren't as vibrant. You have to look for the fish. Whereas before I was swimming through the fish, whether it's toxicity of the water or not caring for the reefs or climate change specifically, but in some way it's related. And I think that would be my most direct kind of example of that in my life. Well, and, and the world likes to say that, that buildings cause a larger percentage of climate change. That is the direct connection between climate change and what buildings create. But the reason I ask the question is because to hear somebody that actually has seen things and experienced them, to me, is way more convincing than people in the industry saying it's the buildings. I think, to your point... We don't do the best job of drawing a a line between building to utility plants, to how they produce their energy and the fuel that they use to make the energy, to greenhouse gases, to climate change. There's multiple steps in this process. And it's actually born out of a system that we've created where the utility companies get to be the monopoly and in their area and do what they want. So if you're on a grid that's using coal to fire their plant, you might be doing the best you can at your house or in the building that's going on that grid, but the utility plant is still creating this very dirty energy and then three times as much as we need because of transmission losses across lines. So we need to do a better job of explaining why we have a role in this and why our role makes a difference when we trace it back throughout the line. Yeah. So why don't you talk about a couple of the projects that we're working on together between TLC and Schimberg Group? I first got involved with Schimberg at the Sarasota Design Conference right at the beginning of 2020. That led to the Suncoast Humane Society, which we're working on together which is a fun project because one, we don't work on buildings for animals every day. So it's fun to have this change of conversation. And two, there's been a lot of talk about net zero energy on that project and how we can achieve it. A clinic requires a lot of air changes. How do you couple that with net zero energy? So that's been a fun project to work on. And then this Florida Digestive Health Lab that we're working on and churning through some of the details and now we're finally getting to put pen to paper is the other one we're working on together. 
do you find when you when projects come your way that you are aggressive and immediately go into your sustainability mode? Or are you more reactive to the project as to whether it's appropriate or how it works together? I always have my sustainability hat on. It all goes back to climate change. No matter what happens, we put this building on the grid and it's going to use energy. But a lot of that conversation and the hard parts of the conversation happen internally between my, the staff at TLC and myself. Okay, so now TLC and you and your team are all thinking about this. How do architects integrate into that or not? What has been your experience with how all of, I would say, brainstorming and think tanking almost in your world, how does that relate or integrate into the architectural world? And do they want to be in that world or do they want to participate in that? Any level of integrated project design helps the design. So even if you as an architect were just sitting in the corner listening to our conversation, I think you would still pick up things for your design that help you integrate with our design in a way that produces a better final product. So for instance, the amount of glass on the walls. If we have largely in a commercial building, the things that are going to cause you to have to use energy to for your air conditioning are ventilation, so the amount of outside air coming in, and then the heat in the space produced by your process, you know, all the things we plug in every day, right? When you can turn things off in your building, that we have found in our climate in Florida produces the most energy savings. So architects can put in great glass with a great solar heat gain coefficient and limit the heat coming in. But if the glass also doesn't let in some light to allow us to dim our lights when we have enough light in the space, then we've lost that opportunity. So there's always a balance. But that hands down, architects advocate when we're not in a meeting. You also hear the owner and what they need and relay that back to us. And that's a pretty big responsibility, in my opinion. And do you find that architects are doing that? It depends on the project, right? If if we used a more integrated project design approach for all things, now stop excluding the lead consultant from a bunch of emails you don't think they care about and thinking of them as below the line consultant that's like this extra tag. And I understand and, and it is born out of the way our business works with lump sum fees. We don't want people to spend more time or waste time and fee, but... Being a fly on the wall for conversations, I think, does result in a better final product. What if the building's not lead? Isn't there an opportunity to still use the knowledge that comes from a lead consultant? Yes, 100%. Do you want to make this building more comfortable for your occupants? Why do you care about sustainability, right? Is it the energy? Is it the water? Like, where do you care the most? And if at any point in the process... There's a conversation about budget. I bring it back. Let's get the right system on the building and let's make this a highly energy efficient building. And so when you have me as a project manager, obviously I'm always going to be bringing up sustainability. Have you thought about creating an education for each project to get the architect on board a little bit differently? 
that is where it's a very project by project scenario, right? A developer building a build uh, office space they're going to sell is a much different client than a higher ed or municipal owner okay. that that knows that they are going to own and operate this building for the next 50 years and hope they get 60 out of it. And so we have a budget, right? And our budget is our first cost. And we every conversation that we have when we bring up anything is surrounding the budget. And it's like anything in your life, if you make a decision based on one set of facts, right? And you push all the other stuff aside, you're obviously at some point going to find out that you did a terrible job addressing the other things. <laughs> so if you only address first cost, great. You built a building within budget. You were able to build it the year you wanted. Now people can work in it. Fabulous. You get leases and tenants and it's all the fun things that drives our commerce. But nobody thought about when this building goes in operation and what the operational cost is going to be to the owner, what the impact on our climate is going to be, what the impact to the health of the people in the area and in the building are going to be. And when we don't think about all the things, bring in the layers of decision-making, we end up in the mess that we're in right now, to be honest. So describe your perfect scenario for starting a project with an architect. It's a good question. My perfect scenario is one that there's a sustainability component to every project and an advocate for that on every project. The building hasn't even been envisioned and a location hasn't been picked yet. We come in and do a charrette. And it's a sustainability charrette with the design team, the contractor. And we have a mindful conversation about all the layers that need to come into play for this project. All the decisions made in that charrette, all of us in the room, come to an agreement on what is going into this building moving forward. And so we all leave with our marching orders, right? We know how the building is going to be oriented on the site. We know how much glass is going to be on the building and what the minimum insulation and glass selections and all that. We even have an HVAC system picked and it's not code minimum. So we've decided all this stuff. And then what would happen from there is we don't go away. <laughs> we review every set of drawings that goes out and we do an energy model update the energy model for every deliverable so that we can verify that all the things we agreed on at the beginning are happening. And honestly, that's the best way I think we can come up with a design that has sustainability components, is considering all the layers that we discuss, not just first cost, and really serves the owner in a layered approach like that. It could cost a little more. It might cost a little less. It doesn't mean extra money. And having worked with you on now two projects, I can't say that we did that immediately from the beginning, but I think that we've tried to implement those types of conversations mm -hmm. into the process of design as early as possible. The challenge is always going to be getting everybody on board with that approach. Yeah. It's not always easy. No. And I would say, I've heard that line all the time. We want to be as sustainable and as energy right. efficient as we can, but they always include within budget. Always. Right. 
And I get it. We have a tool that we use internally. It's a matrix, a decision-making matrix for what HVAC system should go in the building. It incorporates first cost, maintenance cost, energy savings, staff familiarity with the system. And we come up with all the systems that would apply to this building. And then we rank all those items and see in that layered approach, what system wins out on this particular building. But if you don't ever do an exercise like that, you'll never know that the thing that you chose might be just a horrific idea. We always want to make those critical evaluations. And does that process that you just described include the architect? Not yet. Why not? I should probably involve you guys more in that. It's probably more on me. The best possible scenario is that you as an architect are at least conversant in energy and mechanical systems. That's where the bulk of our energy is going to be used. I see you guys as our conduit to the owner and also as an advocate for all of this layered thinking. And I know you don't have full control, but you are able to speak up and advocate for certain components. So in the two <laughs> projects that we have worked on together, what successes have you seen in our two projects that we've collaborated on? First, great successes are born in the fact that Suncoast Humane Society still is talking about is solar, renewable energy on site. And I think the only reason they're still committed to it is the advocacy that you've done. Because I don't have, we haven't had a ton of access with owners, so it has to be from you. So that's, I see a, a high success. They're going to do the best they can, which is more than a lot of people do. Agreed. What do you wish we would have done differently? It's a common theme across all projects. I wish we had earlier access to the owner, like conversationally, and more access to the owner. We don't have a relationship with the owner. And I think it could have helped a little bit. Yeah. As I say often, this isn't rocket science. And everything's pretty simple if you just address it. And maybe there can be a consistent approach, including a meeting in the front end with all of the engineers, that seems to me to be an obvious change in what any architect, mm -hmm. us included. And I agree there is a challenge to that sometimes, which has to do with education though, more than anything. It's complicated contractually yeah. as well, which is, I think, just the whole design, bid, build framework in itself. Some of it doesn't lend itself super well to optimally sustainable building. It happens internally too. Like I have people right. who I'm doing work for in my own firm who are like, ah, Christy, you don't need to be at that meeting. And I'm like, okay, I want to be at that meeting. So what are you now excited about moving forward? There's obviously a lot of exciting opportunities. So what, what do you see out there and, and what are you really excited about? So when we started the conversation, I tried to frame or explain that everything I do is framed around climate change, global warming, greenhouse gas emissions, and it's all tied to, in my opinion, to energy. So from that frame of reference, my biggest excitement right now is designing for decarbonization of buildings, health and wellness of the occupants, 
and equity access to all of these things. For me, all of those things have always been part of the same core mission. The idea that decarbonization, helping battle this giant beast that is climate change, can have an impact on so many different levels is very exciting to me. And there's a lot of industry movement from our big industry leaders. We're talking about electrification of heat. We're talking about designing with equity in mind while we do all these other things. And I think it's an exciting, really exciting time. The pandemic has it surfaced a lot of things that I'm talking about. And it also provided us a more common platform to discuss these things on a global level in a way that we weren't able to before. So that to me is the most exciting thing. Like I really hope in five or 10 years, we can come back and say things are changing. And we have even a tiny 0.00001 sliver contribution to that. And we're at that tipping point where we're going to know. We're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. Yep. Very cool. We could keep talking, but thank you very much. And I enjoyed this and I hope you did too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christy Walson and tune in to episode three when I speak with one of our best clients and my good friend, Ed Childs, the owner of not just three successful restaurants in Florida, but a whole lot more, including farms, orchards, and anything promoting food sustainability.